Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being with us this morning. And uh, yeah, let me just add my good morning to you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I addressed a big question that has been raised in coronavirus times. And that question is, what is God doing at the moment? What is God up to while the world appears to be falling apart? And I spoke a little bit about how God allows things to happen with purpose and design. Um, And this morning, I want to go right back to the beginning of the Bible. We've finished our series in Isaiah now, and we're going to move on to something else in a couple of weeks. But this morning, I want to go back to the beginning of the Bible and show you how we are included in that purpose that God has. We're included in God's plan. God has created us with a purpose. But what is it? What is that purpose? Well, as I said, I want to go right back to the start. In Genesis chapter one, we read the creation story. And in that creation story, God creates everything that there is. And in Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27, we're told about what he says when he creates mankind. And here's what God says. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Well, I want to pose this question this morning. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, if we're going to know what the Bible's saying, it sometimes helps to look at the language it was originally written in. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the word here that's translated as image is the word selem, which normally, if you were using that word in the Hebrew language, outside of a Bible context or even within the Bible, You'd be referring to kind of a statue that you'd find in a temple, a statue of a God or of a deity. What this is saying or what the author of Genesis 1 is telling us is that God has made mankind as a representation of himself. Now, this is a a collective thing. okay? God has made humankind as a representation of himself, made by God to represent God. And understanding that, that we're made as God's representation or his image, has many implications. It has implications for the way we think about our fellow human beings. It has implications for the way we understand things like race and sexuality and gender and the other things that we find make us different from one another. And it has implications for the way we relate to the natural world. But fundamentally, knowing that we are made in the image of God tells us what our purpose is. It tells us that we are here to show off the creator. Now, you'll find your screen taken over uh, now by by an image of a piece of artwork. Okay, now this is a piece of artwork that's housed in St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. And it's by Michelangelo and it's called the Pieta, which is Italian for the pity. This was made about 500 years ago. And the interesting thing about this work of art isn't that it's worth about 300 million euros. Not that the Vatican is going to sell it anytime soon. But the interesting thing about it is that this is the only piece of sculpture, Michelangelo, who, by the way, if you don't know who he is, a famous sculptor. This is the only piece of sculpture that he ever signed. 
Why though? Why would this be the piece of sculpture that he chose to sign? Or perhaps he felt it was his best work, or perhaps he knew that it would be on display for all to see, and he wanted to make sure people remembered the name of its creator. As you can see, the, the image depicts the Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the body of her son as he's been crucified on the cross. And the name that's associated with this piece of sculpture, Michelangelo. Now in Genesis 1 to 2, we read the story of creation. And although much of this story should be read as an allegory, the primary messages of the passage are crystal clear. One of them is that God is the creator of all things. Light and darkness, day and night, earth, sea and sky, plant life, animal life. None of this is an accident. God has created it all with purpose and design. But in the story, when God is about to make mankind, he pauses and says something he doesn't say about anything else he's made. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In other words, let's make mankind to be something like us, like something like God. He didn't say that about any other part of creation. Human beings, if you like, are the only piece of his handiwork that God signed. He's put a unique stamp upon us. He has a unique purpose for us. Ephesians 2.10, right at the other end of the Bible, says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Creation isn't a random accident, and none of us is a random accident. We've been created in the image of God. This is a unique privilege in God's creation, so that the creator would be glorified all over the earth. That's our purpose. Now, in 1972, that statue that you'll see again now, the Pieta, sustained some serious damage. A geologist from Hungary jumped over the safety railing and attacked the statue with a hammer, striking it 15 times while shouting, I am Jesus Christ, I have risen from the dead. Now poor Mary lost an elbow, most of her nose and one of her eyelids. This incredibly beautiful, priceless work of art had been vandalised. Now, pretty much since Genesis chapter one was written, people have been wondering what it actually means to be made in the image of God. In what ways are we supposed to be like God? Well, a theologian called Andrew Wilson, who's part of the New Frontiers group of churches, which we're a part of as well, puts it a really great way. He says that there are five things that make us like God and they all begin with art, which is really helpful. So I'm just going to nab them. But number one, he says, look, he says we resemble God. God didn't pluck the idea of making human beings look the way they are out of nowhere. There's something in our appearance which resembles him. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but we normally presume that when Jesus became human, he became like us. But what if we were actually modelled on him in the first place? There's something in us that means we resemble God. Second thing is that we reason like God. We reason like him. In the animal kingdom, human beings are unique in their great capacity to learn through reason and solve problems in a logical fashion. We resemble God, we reason like God, and we relate like God. Our relationships are part of what makes us like him. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's no coincidence that God, who has been in community with himself from the start, let us make mankind in our image created multiple human beings instead of just one. 
We have a capacity for love and companionship and community, which is very godlike. We reproduce like God as well. We see here in the creation story that God loves to recreate beings in his image. Beings that are like him, but smaller. And I don't need to tell you that human beings like to do the same thing. And we're made to rule like God, finally. To fill the earth, subdue it and have authority and care over all living things. But this begs a huge, important question for us. Because if we're made to resemble God, reason, relate, reproduce and rule like God, then that begs the question, why are we often so bad at doing those things? Why, if we're supposed to resemble God, is the human body such a fragile thing that for many people is a source of pain and difficulty? Why, if we're supposed to reason like God, do so many people feel that actually that through their own reason, they can reason God out of existence? Why, if we're supposed to relate like God, do so many relationships break down, become toxic or abusive or just fizzle out completely? And, and why are our hearts so full of prejudices, as we've seen this week? Things like racism, why are they so prevalent across the world if we're supposed to relate to one another like God? Why, if we're supposed to reproduce like God, are there so many people who have children that they either don't want or can't take care of? And so many other people who really want children and have the capacity to care for them, but can't have them. Why, if we're supposed to rule like God, have there been so many corrupt and evil political regimes throughout history and now? And why have we abused the natural world to the point of near destruction? Why? And the answer to the question of why, if we're supposed to be like God in all these ways, are we so bad at it? Is that we humankind, the image of God, have sustained damage. In Genesis chapter 3, we read the story of the fall. And if the main point of the creation story, or one of the main points, was to illustrate that God is the creator of all things, including mankind, then mankind who are made in his image, then the main point of the fall story is to illustrate that the image of God has been damaged, broken, vandalized. The temptation of Eve and Adam by the devil, who is disguised as a serpent, captures the sinful desire in every human heart to be the God of our own lives, to be like God or better than God. The serpent in the story tells the human beings that if they disobey God, disobey his commands, then they'll become like him. And the great irony is that before they listened to the devil, before they disobeyed God, before they sinned, they were as like God as they would ever be because God had made them in his image. Andrew Wilson, who I quoted from just a moment ago, puts it this way in his book, God Stories. He says, God, as we frequently read in scripture, wanted his glory to, read, uh, to fill the whole earth. So he made human beings in his image, creatures who resembled, reasoned, related, reproduced and ruled like him. And he told them to fill the earth, but they spoiled the image of God through sin. Every aspect of the image of God in humanity, from physical well-being to mental processes to relationships to sex to good government, was distorted at the fall. That word distorted, I think, changes the way we view the world. The world isn't black and white, good or bad. The world is a good place that's been distorted in every way. And the reason 
is sin. But we human beings can't make excuses or play the victim, can we? Because every one of us make choices and every one of us is complicit in our own sin. Eve accepted the fruit from the tree. Adam accepted the fruit. The devil may be the one who tempts us, but we're the ones who give in. There's a new Netflix TV show, which, and just bear with me for just a moment on this one. There's a new Netflix show, which I think is really fascinating that it exists because it's based on this principle, okay? And it's called Too Hot to Handle, right? And the idea is that couples have to resist any kind of physical affection with one another, okay? They can't hug, they can't kiss, and they definitely can't go any further than that. If they do, they lose bits of their prize money, okay? Now, I don't advocate watching this show, haven't watched this show myself, but I think it's fascinating that there is a secular TV show which encourages resisting temptation. Isn't that interesting? Because most of the time, our culture doesn't actually do that. Our cultural narrative, at least here in the West, my cultural narrative is very much do what feels right for you. And as Christians, we have to push back against that because when what feels right for us pushes against what God asks of his holy people, his image made to be like him, when it pushes against that and we act on it, that's called sin. Paul calls the the sin that we engage in, the kind of acts that are disobedient to God, he calls them the acts of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. And he lists them like this, right? He lists them as sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Unsurprisingly, not a very popular Bible verse to get as a tattoo. But just to get introspective for a second and be honest with you, I have to ask myself questions based on that list. How often do I fail to scroll past an advert on social media that features something sexual or a video that's got explicit content? How often do I dwell for a bit too long on those things? Because that's sexual immorality. How often do I devote so much time to Claire, my wife, that I forget to devote any time to God? Claire's amazing. You all know that, but that's idolatry. That's making her into something more important than God in my life. How often in a completely different, on a completely different note, how often do I make jokes that are at the expense of particular groups of people? Because that's hatred or at the very least prejudice. How often do I obsess over the success of my own PhD, fantasizing about how I hope one day it'll lead to a few best-selling books and a well-paid job? Now, those two things are pretty unlikely, but I do that. I obsess over that. And that's selfish ambition. When we read that list, we all have to ask ourselves questions, don't we? I have made so many and still make choices all the time, which put my desires before God's desires. And you know what? I think we all know what that's like. Even if you're not a Christian today, you probably know what it's like to do something that you know is wrong and then regret it afterwards. Sin, which makes us want to put our own desires first over God's, which makes us want to be the gods of our own lives. Sin is a vandal. It hops over the safety barrier and hammers away at God's image. And we allow it to because so often it feels good or it feels right. Thankfully, thankfully, and here's the great news. Here's the great news that's changed my life. The great news that I hope 
will change yours or already has. God is not content to allow his image to remain in its vandalized, damaged state. Andrew Wilson, and this is my final quote from him this morning, goes on to say everything was distorted at the fall. So God set about the restoration of his image in people, his recovery of the way that they had originally been created so that his glory could fill the whole earth. After the Pieta was vandalized in 1976, there was no question for the Vatican officials over whether or not it was going to be repaired. The answer was clearly yes. In the following year, when repair work began, Vatican officials were interviewed about how much money it was going to cost to restore the Pieta. And they all said the same thing. The Pieta is priceless and whatever it costs to repair it is irrelevant. Now, that's easier to say if you're one of the richest institutions in the world. But the Vatican's attitude towards their damaged masterpiece was no expense spared. And although the image of God has sustained damage because of sin and our complicity in sin, God's attitude toward us has always been no expense spared. Two verses in 1 Peter chapter 1 put this incredibly well. Peter, writing to a bunch of pretty new Christians, says this about them being saved by God. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God has spared no expense, in other words, in restoring his image in his people. But it came at a cost. It cost him his only son, Jesus. And it cost Jesus his life. Someone had to pay for the repair of God's image. The death of Jesus, who had lived a perfect life, who's compared to a sacrificial lamb who has no blemishes upon him, paid that price. Now I said at the beginning of this sermon that the image of God is something collective, that God created mankind in his image. But there are individual implications for all of us, aren't there? And I believe that God wants an individual response from you this morning. How much of this, of what I've said this morning, how much of this do you believe? How much of it do you agree with? Do you believe that God created you to begin with? Do you believe that he made you, that you're not a result of a random accident? Do you believe that he created you to represent him? Do you believe that you, like every other human being, has failed in living up to that purpose? Do you believe that God wants to restore you to who he made you to be? Do you believe that Jesus' death and resurrection have accomplished that goal? If you struggle with any one of those challenging questions, and they are challenging questions, then I would love to chat to you about it. We're going to be running an online alpha course very soon as a church, which is a brilliant space to discuss the biggest questions about life and faith in Jesus. But you don't have to wait until then. If you have questions. I'd love to chat with you personally. You'll get my contact details at the end of the service. Just get in touch because God is all about the restoration of his image, which means that God is all about restoring you. Finally, God does not only care about restoring his handiwork and restoring human beings to bear his image, but he cares about protecting his handiwork as well. 
The Pieta, as you can see in the third image there, is now for very obvious reasons housed behind a sheet of bulletproof glass. No expense was spared in restoring the masterpiece and now no expense is spared in protecting it. Now when you follow Jesus, part of God's promise to you is to protect you from further vandalism, from further damage. God is restoring his image in his people. But let me explain what I mean by God protecting us from further damage so that we don't misunderstand. Because recently, actually, the coronavirus situation has brought out uh, how something pretty obvious that actually across the world, many Christians have misunderstood the idea of God's protection. Recently in the USA, one example is that churchgoers in Ohio made the news because they repeatedly refused to stop going to church services, responding when they were challenged that they are covered in Jesus' blood. But that's not the kind of protection that God guarantees for those who trust him. It is, by the way, it is, it is good to pray for God's protection from diseases. It is good to pray for God to heal us. But the kind of protection God guarantees for us, for everyone who believes in him, is something different. Psalm 32 verses 1 to 2 say this. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now, the Apostle Paul quotes those verses in Romans chapter four, verses seven to eight, saying that if you believe in Jesus, his blood has covered you. Your sins are forgiven and God will never count your sin against you. The obstacle that separated you and God is gone. Notice that God does not promise to protect our present bodies from harm. Notice that he doesn't even promise to protect our present lives from ending. But he does promise that faith in Jesus grants eternal protection. The new bodies that God will give us at the resurrection are protected. Our eternal life with him is protected. Our status as God's image made with a purpose to show him off to the rest of creation is protected. I'm just going to pray to finish. Lord God, I want to just thank you that you have made mankind in your image. Help us this morning to realise afresh that our purpose is to glorify you in all we do. Thank you that when we fail in doing that and we put ourselves first, we can come to you and ask for forgiveness and know that you will never count our sin against us through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are not willing to allow your image to remain damaged, that you are restoring each one of us by your spirit and that you are, you, you are restoring your image so that you would be glorified throughout the earth. Amen. Very good. Thank you, Andy. Well, that was... That was a, a great word this morning and it, it really uh, kind of takes us into what we're going to do next uh, quite, quite smoothly because we're going to spend a few minutes now just reflecting on, on the gospel, on the, uh, really the message of the Bible, the message of Christianity actually, uh, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so we're going to spend a few minutes reflecting on that. Now ordinarily when we're meeting together in person we would take communion now. Um, and so really, this is kind of communion without the bread and the juice, without the bread and the wine, because actually we're saving that until we're back together in person. 
And so I just really want to encourage you, whether you're, um, whether you're a believer this morning, whether you call yourself a Christian uh, or whether you wouldn't, actually reflecting on uh, the gospel, reflecting um, on what Jesus has done is such uh, an important thing for us to do. And it was amazing when Andy was talking and he, and he gave this example of uh, the Pieta, Michelangelo's sculpture, and how the Vatican said, you know, no matter what it costs, uh, we're going we're gonna to repair this, actually, because, uh, because uh, yeah, they had the resources to do that and they valued that sculpture that way. And I wonder if uh, this morning you believe, actually, uh, that the God of the universe who has infinitely more resources uh, than even uh, the Vatican, even than the Roman Catholic Church. I wonder if you believe, actually, that he wants to use his resources to say, whatever it costs, I want to restore uh, this person. I want to restore this image bearer. Because when we look at the gospel, when we look at the picture of the Bible, like Andy said, what we discover is, actually, we were created uh, in order to be uh, be God's statues in order to represent God and we we just know that we fall short don't we 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 know that we uh, make our lives about us that this ultimate commandment to love God with all our being everything we have that daily we fall short of that you know and we hear this list uh, of, of um, <clears throat> you know from uh, Galatians chapter 5 of, of all these different uh, kinds of sin um, that Andy read out, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, uh, all these different things, we think, oh man, I can relate to that. But do we believe actually that the God of the universe with all his power is willing to pay so much more than 300 million pounds to restore you, to restore uh, you? You know what he, that cost him? Cost him Jesus Christ uh, dying on the cross. Uh, it cost the father his son's life. It cost Jesus uh, that agonizing death and that separation from the father as he took on your sin and my sin. Um, and so it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing encouragement because actually if we accept that, what, what God says is that's dealt with. Jesus has done away with that sin. Actually you're restored like the Pieta, like that masterpiece by Michelangelo, you're restored anew. Uh, to, and God sees us then as as this statue, this uh, image of him that he created us to be. And that's a wonderful thing. So I just want to encourage you, if you're a believer and you're, and you're so focused maybe on your sin and your shortcomings, actually, when you put your faith in Jesus, uh, that's taken away, that is dealt with. Um, if you're uh, not yet a believer and maybe you could, this resonates with you, this idea of sin and how sin just doesn't fulfill, you know, how uh, these things that uh, that we we expect to satisfy us just don't actually i want to i want to say to you this morning there's an opportunity to follow jesus and to claim this salvation for yourself um and so <clears throat> i just want to pray for us in a moment and then we're going to have a time of worship together uh again <clears throat> led by rosie and beth lord we we love you jesus we thank you that uh you have made a way uh for us to be restored uh Lord God, we thank you that the price uh, that it's cost you to restore us, to offer us uh, a way to be restored and to be right with you, that price was so high. It's the highest price, the life of Jesus. And yet you paid it, God. You said, you said no price is too much uh, for us. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us listening, um, Lord God, that we would just be uh, able to really grasp the love that you have for us. 
the price that you have paid for us, what you've done for each of us. And for anyone who is thinking, is this real? Is this for me? Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would really impress upon people and give people uh, eyes to see that actually you are real. You are the God of the universe. You love them uh, and you want to restore them too. Uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. You are awesome. Amen.